Good morning. In the past, I've been accused of uh, putting images in people's minds that keep popping back in front, to the front when life situations demand that those choices be made. For instance, if you remember the rooms of the heart, or if you remember the oatmeal in that old hall closet, or if you even remember being a Coke bottle Christian when we were all shook up and the lids taken off, what comes out? It ought to be godly stuff spraying all over. And so uh, I, to those, I plead guilty. However, I submit that it's not me that brings these thoughts to mind when they're needed. It's the Holy Spirit. So guess what? I'm going to give you another one today. And what is that image? Go fly a kite. That image brings up a question to me. What is real faith? What holds a kite in the air? Wind. Can we see the wind? No. However, we do see its effects. We know it's there because of the effects. We trust that the wind is real because we can see what it does. That is a form of faith. We act on that faith by going out and launching a kite. And guess what? If the wind is trusted and it's used, that kite will fly. When was the last time you sat in a chair? Did you pick it up? Did you check it out to see if it had sturdy legs? Did you say, could I trust the master? Or see if the seat was solidly attached before you sat on it? Probably not. It probably didn't even cross your mind that it might not hold you up. Instead, you sat right down as you exercised a form of faith. From past experience, you figured out that it would safely hold you. And guess what? It did again. Now, how does faith fit into our daily lives? Since we are saved by faith and not of works, and we find that in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we also grow spiritually in faith. If we want to follow our church's purpose, it tells us that we also live and do God's will by faith. Now, last week, uh, Pastor Brett did a wonderful message on faith. And he brought it up to the point where actually the Holy Spirit asked me to pick it up from here and go on. So here comes another image. One more of them. Have a locomotive train type life. Now, what do I mean by that? There are three parts to the train. Three main parts. There's a locomotive. There's the coal car. And there's a caboose. Now, in today's trains, those things have practically disappeared. But back in the days of steam engines, the locomotive is what held the power. The coal car held the fuel. And the caboose held the watchman. Now, all three of those were necessary for the train to run properly. The locomotive 
in the word of God and in the act of faith is the word of God and the trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's fact. The Bible is fact. God is fact. The Holy Spirit is fact. But it takes some fuel to make it work. And that's our faith. We put our faith into the facts and then the car can move. And then the whole train can move. But then there's this thing called the caboose where the watchman is. And the caboose actually represents feelings. Some people say, oh, I feel this is right. Oh, I want to believe this because it just feels right. Wrong. Why do I say it's wrong? Because it's very obvious no caboose ever pulled the train. So, we add fuel to make the locomotive move forward. But the fuel is even provided by God. We only operate the shovel. So now, the introduction is very simple. We need fact, faith, and feeling for our Christian lives to actually move properly. They cannot be run by feelings. They have to be acted on by faith, but they have to be based on the word of God and the Trinity, God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So now that was all introduction. So now we're going to base our entire rest of our uh, sermon today on Ephesians 1, 15 through 20. Now it's a little bit of a long chapter, so I put it all on here on the slides so that you can go ahead and read it along with me because I'm going to pick highlights out of it but I want you to get the whole concept first. So therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So my first question and the first point, you know, a good sermon is supposed to have three points. I learned that in seminary, but you know what? I think it's more important just to think about the points themselves, not how many there are or what direction we're going or whatever. So, I want to talk about where are we, you and me, in our faith. Now, my question comes to this. Am I preaching to you or am I preaching to myself and hope you get a blessing? I'm preaching to myself. Why? Because I need to keep growing in my faith as well. 
none of us have ever arrived and we won't until we meet Christ face to face in heaven. But we need to consider what our faith is to us where we are right now. So my first question is, what is faith to you? Is it an insurance policy for escaping hell? It is to a lot of people. Is it a rapture ride to glory someday? Do we simply stay inside the front door of salvation because we are satisfied with uh, being just a babe in Christ and just being part of the church? By the way, I got news for you. Being in a garage does not make you a car. Being in church does not make you a Christian. Being in the United States does not make you a Christian. And oh boy, can we see that more and more every day as we continue. I want to tell you a little story about a 30-year-old infant. A what? Now, when a baby comes into the world, everybody's, oh, look at that cute thing. Let's handle it. Let's pick it up. Let's burp it. Let's feed it. Let's change it. Let's really love it all to pieces. It's so cute. But what happens if that baby stays a baby for 30 years? He doesn't grow. He doesn't learn to talk. He doesn't learn to walk. He doesn't learn to fend for himself. And he depends on everybody else for everything. Not a good picture. So applying that to Christianity... What happens when a person walks in the front door of the church, accepts Jesus Christ, and starts walking as a new life in Christ? He's a babe in Christ. He needs training. He needs help. He needs guidance. He needs direction. He needs changing sometimes because of the things that are still inside him that need to be helped and cleaned out and taken care of. But if a person sits in that pew for 30 years and doesn't grow up in Christ, what then? I leave that to your imagination. Okay, so do we want to move past the front door? Do we want to grow in our faith? 2 Corinthians 6.17 tells us that we need to come out, be separate, be given the power to be my sons and daughters. We need to grow from being a babe to at least being sons and daughters. Now Christ said, suffer not the children to come unto me because such is the kingdom of heaven. It's a good thing to be a child of God. It's a wonderful thing. It's a growing thing. It's a learning thing. And we walk in faith to become those sons and daughters. Now how do we do that? Romans 12.2 tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or demonstrate, that's the same meaning of the word, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for you, for me, not for just the church as a whole, but for you and for me that we might individually demonstrate what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Now, how, 
What's transforming mean? Very simple. In the mind, there are nerve endings. And those nerve endings connect through a whole map of the brain. And when I want to lift my left arm up, the, my brain tells those little nerves to go here, move this, lift that, raise that, and move the hand. That's all done by a path that's automatic. I learned it when I was a little kid. And the older I got, the more it got perfected because I used it so much. Now, if I went into the army and I got my arm shot off and I came home and I got an artificial arm, how does that arm lift and move? Because my brain says, those old patterns are gone. I have to create a new pathway to make that artificial arm work. But with a lot of work, a lot of synapses connections, if you want to, a new route is made and eventually that arm does function almost as good as the one I lost. That is being transformed by the renewing of my mind. Now, if I am acting in a sinful lifestyle and the Lord says, lose it, how do I do it? When I think of this, this automatically happened for the last 30 years of my life. I got to get rid of that. How do I do it? All right, that thought comes to my mind. Here's a new target. Let me think about the new target. Let me create in my brain a way to get to that new target so that the old line of communication withers away and dies. Old things pass away and all things become new. That's transforming by the renewing of my mind. And so I want to be able to prove the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And then there's a third and more mature position of being in the faith, and we see that in John 15, 14 and 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not understand what his master is doing. But I have called you friends because everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Where is that? In the locomotive again. That's the fact. That's the truth. It works. How do we know it works? We've seen it work. So what we're saying is, I want to become even more mature than just being a, a child of God. I want to be a friend with Jesus. In other words, I want to be a true disciple. A true disciple knows his uh, tutor or his rabbi so well that if the rabbi has a limp in his left leg, so does the disciple. <laughs> That's the way the Jewish understanding of disciple is. Part of their education is to learn everything about the person who is their rabbi. 
Jesus says, my father has made everything known to me and I've learned it. Now I'm giving all of it to you. You want to be my friend? Now, servanthood isn't all bad. It's not being a slave. It's being a willing servant, which means you want to follow what your master says. But not only do you want to follow it, you want to become it. And that's where we move from being servants to friends. Now, what is, is our purpose? And we find that in our uh, church uh, doctrine again. Not only doctrine, but our, our motto, our purpose, whatever the word is. First of all, we're told in Second Peter that we're to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not an overnight happening. We do need to grow. We want to grow if we want to be his friends. But we are told when we're part of this church that we have a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God by becoming disciples who know and live God's will. Now that's a pretty heavy thing if you want to think about it. We all came into the church, we asked to be members. We all claim that we are born again people, or at least most of us are. Some, some of you may not even know what it means to be born again. and A lot of this doesn't apply to you yet. Guess what? <laughs> when I get done today, I'm going to give you that opportunity. But those of us who call ourselves Christians, call ourselves believers, and we say we live by faith, do we become true disciples by becoming like Christ? Do we know him and do we live the way he lived because that's what God's will is for every member of the entire world body of Christ? So my question is, what is my personal purpose? Am I an active part of this church body because I want to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and live God's will. Okay, point number two. What do people hear about our faith? Back in the scripture it says, I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. What are people saying about me? What are people saying about you? What are they saying about Calvary Church? What are they saying about the church in general in the world today? My question is, is it always positive? It ought to be. Scripture gives us many examples of how our faith should make us look to the rest of the world's people. I want to share two of those with you this morning. This is what people ought to hear. That we are proving or demonstrating, there's that word again, demonstrating good things. Not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of all men. And if it be possible, live peaceably with all men. <laughs> you don't go out and win souls by hitting them over the head with a spiritual hammer and telling them that they're going to go to hell before, if they don't change their lifestyle. You love them. You live a life of Christ 
in front of them and then let them ask what it is you have and then you share the truth by using the coal and shoveling it into the locomotive. Now, 1 Timothy talks about what elders or church leaders ought to be, but you know what? I think it fits just as well for every single one of us, whether we're a leader in the church structure or not. We ought to be above reproach, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not puffed up with conceit, but moreover, we must be well thought of by the outsiders. Now that's a big goal. I don't think I have lived up to everything that's on that list. In fact, I know I haven't. And there have been times in my life where I have not been well thought of by certain outsiders. And you know what? God says, I forgive you, my son, but I'm not going to let you stay there. (laughs) I want you to grow up a little further and get rid of that problem. So I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else because I'm not a judge. I'm not the jury. I leave that up to Jesus. But I do need to answer for how I personally am spoken of by outsiders. I need to look at the instructions for taking communion and consider our own reputation. Do you realize that last week we had communion? Yeah. And we all sat there and we partook of the bread and we partook of the cup in remembrance of what he did for us. But we neglected the next two verses. Unless you were reading it out of the Bible and you did something yourself when you were preparing to take those cups. Because the next two verses say this. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. In other words, examine yourself. No, none of us are worthy. But Christ makes us worthy when we surrender to him on our daily basis and we confess our sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we can do that, then we can take of the bread and drink of the cup because Christ makes us worthy and makes us avoid judgment. So point three, where does God want us to be And do we really even want to get there? Our adult Sunday school class has been studying the minor prophets. And in there, these people of Israel have gone so far away from the original covenant that they just aren't going to make it and they're going to get judgment. So I did some looking at all of those minor prophets and I looked at the major prophets and I looked at prophecy in the New Testament. And you know what? God put together a list of expectations and he told the Israelites they needed to. And by the way, since we are grafted into the covenant with Israel, God's people, I think they apply to us too. 
Now, uh, pastor and author Lloyd Ogilvy has put a list together of those 10 things that I think are emphasized all through prophecy. None of them do we all live up to. We can say that right from the beginning. But God expects these from his children. I'm not going to talk about each one. I'm just going to highlight them for you. You do your own thinking about where you are within it. We are to have an acceptance of his absolute authority and sovereignty. We're supposed to know and love and obey him as our father. We're to have an acceptance of his love and forgiveness through Christ and the lordship of Christ in our daily lives. We're to have a wholehearted dedication to being Jesus' disciple. We are to have a a dedication to prayer and Bible study so that we can receive knowledge, power, and strength to do God's will. One comment on here I have to make. Why do we have a church this big with only six people in one Bible study and 12 in another on a Sunday morning? Is Sunday school a suggestion? I leave that to your thoughts. Anyway, let's go on. An unhindered participation in worship, study, fellowship of the church body, and a willingness for the people of God to be renewed. An unqualified response to serve the needs of others. An unrestrained willingness to share our faith and introduce others to Christ. Here I am, Lord. Have the other guy tell him. An involvement in mission for those who suffer and to those who are poor in body and spirit. And we're to be involved in a true stewardship of time, talents, and treasures. So just a thought. God doesn't change, and neither do his expectations. Maybe it would do us well not to consider this as a list of do's and don'ts, but as a guideline for what we need to aim toward. It's part of becoming disciple. It's part of growing up from being a babe to a child to a servant to a friend. And if we do want to get there, the Apostle Paul gives us the perfect example of the mindset we need in order to arrive at that goal. And he says in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now the picture here is of a runner in an Olympic race. And he presses and presses and presses so he can be the first one to break the tape at the end of the line. That's the kind of energy we need to uh, involve in our faith so that we can grow and that we do grow. And so uh, if you want to finish the race and meet the Savior as his friend, you press and you press. If you are my friends, you will do what I command you. And we can only do this by faith and not by our works. Because God even empowers us to do what he asks for us. Living God's will is the proof that we have the faith that we can claim to have. Therefore, go fly a kite.